listening to Victory Alabang Podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. Happy Sunday to all of you, Victory family, and I would like to welcome you to our first ever live broadcast for the 5 p.m. service during this pandemic. My name is Bodhi. I'm one of the pastors here in Victory, and I would like to personally thank Pastor Ariel for entrusting me to lead this service. I hope to see all of you once we lift the MECQ here on site, but for now, let's worship God in our homes. Let's stay safe. Today, we are continuing our series entitled Future Hope. This series aims to educate us about the second coming of Christ so that we would look forward to that glorious day and not dread it like many are doing now. Speaking of the future, have you ever been asked this question during a job interview? Where do you see yourself five years from now? Again, where do you see yourself five years from now? Go ahead, share your answers in the chat box. I would love to read it and let's see who gets the job. If we are to put ourselves in the corporate setting, the usual answer would be still in this company, probably promoted already. But if we are going to go out of the workplace, people would probably answer, I would have launched my dream business. Or after all of the diets and after all of the workouts, I would probably have my dream body. Some would probably say, I'll finally be living in a house that I finally own. I will be married to the love of my life. And for me, I see myself walking the streets of Manila, of Alabang, walking the mall without a face mask and a face shield. <laughs> I'm sure all of us would love that. Whatever your answer is, one thing's for sure. We all want progress, to be in a better situation, to be, to be a better version of ourselves. And I'm sure that most of us, if not all, would be willing to work hard to achieve that. As we desire all of these things for our personal and professional lives, I wonder, do we also desire to progress when it comes to our spiritual life? Look back and see, reflect, how much have we changed since we made that decision to follow Jesus? I'm reminded of a friend who always says, it's been years, but I'm still a baby Christian. Do we have a heart to mature in the faith? I'm sure that somehow you do because you're joining us in the service today. Let me tell you, God's heart is for us to progress as well. Do you want to know how God sees us five years from now? More like Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is the process of being transformed to become more and more like Jesus every day. God's will for us is not just for us to become better people, but for us to become more and more like Christ. That should be the goal of every believer. That should be our goal. And as we continue to study 1 Thessalonians, we will see practical tips on how we can do this as we read the rest of chapter 4. I'd like to invite all of you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I will be reading verses 1 to 12 from the ESV version. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. 
For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Can you type that in the chat box? More and more. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. That is the word of the Lord for us today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a very personal God, that you are a God who continues to speak to each and every one of us through your word and that you are a God committed to transform us to become more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you today. Open our hearts, open our minds, that we may receive the fullness of the message that you would want to send us today. And I pray that you work in our hearts. Let no one leave this service without being transformed. Bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul wrote this letter to the new believers in Thessalonica after he had been forcefully driven out of their city. Why? Because most people in their city worshipped Greek pagan gods, so they didn't really appreciate Paul's message about Jesus Christ. Now, as Paul moved to his next destination, Corinth, Paul naturally worried about the new believers that he left in Thessalonica. Paul probably thought, oh no, they are receiving the same hatred, the same violence, the same persecution that I received when I was there. And for new believers, that could cause them to easily just turn their backs from Jesus, go back to their old ways just so they could live in peace with the people around them. Instead of progressing, they would regress. Now let me ask you, if you were one of the new believers in Thessalonica and you were under that kind of pressure, what would you do? Thankfully, the new believers in the Thessalonian church continued following Jesus in the midst of all the challenges, in the midst of all the trials, and Paul commended them. Good job. But he also went to say to these people, do not be content where you're at. He challenged them to progress, to grow. Again, this is what we call the process of sanctification, growing more and more in holiness and Christ-likeness, not on our own, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. How do we do this? According to Paul in verse 1, he says here, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. A lot of people think that spiritual growth means simply knowing more about the Bible. Now, don't get me wrong. That helps a lot. We are called to know and to understand God's Word. But it's not enough for us to simply know it. We must do it. 
young kids nowadays have this phrase where they say, if you know, you know. I say, if you know, you do, as you should. I mean, reading up on diets won't get your, your results if you don't actually follow those diets. If you keep eating junk, watching YouTube videos on how to play the guitar won't get you to play songs unless you pick up that instrument and start practicing. What's the use of attending equipping classes, going to Bible school, filling our minds with information when we fail in the application? It doesn't make us any different from the Pharisees, if you remember them. A group of people who memorized the law but missed out on the heart of it all. Sanctification, transformation happens when we put what we know about God's Word into action. Again, transformation happens when we put what we know about God's Word into action. And today, we will be answering the question, how do we become more like Christ? Again, how do we become more like Christ? And we will see it from the words that Paul gave to the Thessalonian church, his encouragement to them. First, we are encouraged to grow in holiness more and more. Again, grow in holiness more and more. We are to live for God's pleasure and not our own pleasure. Talking about pleasure, I think it's important to note that our definition of pleasure is different from God's definition of pleasure. For men, pleasure is doing what feels good. But for God, pleasure is doing what is right. Those are two different things. Doing what feels good, doing what is right. And the enemy would do everything to keep us from doing what is right. So he lures us into the temporary pleasures of this world, those that feel good, money, sex, drugs, alcohol. And when we chase after those things, when we get distracted, we will never be truly satisfied because true satisfaction is only found in pursuing God and His purposes. So don't be distracted by all of those things. In this passage, Paul instructs the Thessalonians to pursue holiness, to grow in holiness more and more, but he actually zeroes in on sexual immorality. In 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, he tells us, he instructs us to abstain from sexual immorality. Again, abstain, stay away, avoid. In a culture that promotes do what feels good, we are reminded to say no. Again, we are reminded to say no to acts that give us pleasure but don't please and honor God. The original translation of sexual immorality in this passage is porneia, where the word pornography comes from. This prohibits everything listed in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 18, fornication and adultery, sexual relations or acts outside of marriage, incest, homosexuality, bestiality, and other perversions as these acts defile us. And it goes against our sanctification, or being made holy. Paul mentioned this command over and over in the different letters that he wrote, not just to the Thessalonians. Because the Gentiles back in the day lived with little restraint when it comes to sexual immorality. It was a norm for them, a lifestyle. Just like how we live these days, if we're being honest. If you look around, everywhere we turn, we see it on billboards, TV shows, and movies. 
Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And we even hear it in a lot of songs. You know, every time I see these images and I hear these songs, I can't help but say these things would have been censored when I was younger, a couple of years back. But now, when we hear these lyrics, when we see these images, they're not just allowed, they're actually celebrated. It's surprising. People love it. And media conditions our minds to be accepting of the culture of immorality, which pulls us farther from God's original design. I love watching TV series. I remember watching a certain gladiator series a couple of years back. I won't mention the title anymore. The actors and the storyline, really good, excellent. The issue was it had a lot of nudity and intimate scenes. But I still watched it. In the first few episodes, I remember kind of, you know, cringing and kind of looking away every time I saw such scenes. But when I reached the middle of the series, I wasn't bothered by it anymore. I became desensitized. I became so used to it because of overexposure. They conditioned my mind to think that that is okay. And I realized that somehow I found it acceptable already. That's why I needed to take a step back. Because I knew if I continued watching that show, my beliefs and my values would soon relax without me knowing, and it would affect the way I live in my day-to-day life. That's why I tell all of you, we have to be careful with what we expose ourselves to. A lot of us think that sexual immorality is doing the act itself. But this actually includes what we allow ourselves to see and think about because this is where it all begins. We unknowingly feed the desire for it, which eventually will manifest itself in our actions. You know, pretty much just like scrolling on Facebook and on Instagram, seeing ads of burgers. Next thing you know, you are already ordering a burger and eating it without you knowing. Sexual purity is not just a physical issue, but a matter of the heart. I remember in Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he redefined what sexual immorality meant or adultery meant. A lot of people thought that it was simply the act. In Matthew 5.28, he says that anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's why we should stay away from pornography. This also falls under immorality. This kind of exposure affects our morals as it has done to many of us these days. I'm really surprised because... Far back, I remember, people used to keep sexual relations a secret. But now people talk about it openly, as if it's some kind of achievement. Before, the norm was to be pure. But now people would actually laugh at you and mock you if you hadn't had sexual relationships when you reach a certain age. People would say, what? You're still a virgin? At that age, are you gay? Or, bro, you haven't done it with her yet? What's wrong with you? You're so slow. Or for men talking to women, they'd probably ask, I thought you loved me. Why won't you sleep with me? And if you're founded, if you're not founded in the word, you would be pressured to give in thinking that it's okay, not knowing that it would eventually destroy your life. How many teenagers have experienced unwanted pregnancies? How many people have felt devalued and used after someone they slept with leaves them? 
God wants to spare us from that. And I want you to remember, this being the norm doesn't and will never make it right. Again, this being the norm doesn't and will never make it right. God's Word, not the majority, should dictate how we live our lives. Abstain from sexual immorality to the youth and to the singles out there. Please note that we aren't given the license to enter sexual relations when we reach a certain age. This isn't like driving. This is a gift given to us when we enter marriage as God has designed. And only in that context, again, only in that context, does it become beautiful and acceptable. Otherwise, it's a sin. What are we to do then? Now that we are living in a culture where this is so rampant. In verses 4 and 5, Paul says, each one of you should know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. God calls us to take control of the passions of our bodies, to possess it, not to give in to it as the world would advise us to. Paul says here that acts of sexual immorality are actually a mark of idolaters. And we are not idolaters. Idolaters who do not know God. And we're definitely not animals who can't control their urges and just act upon them immediately without much thought wherever they are and whoever can see. We must not follow their ways. In verse 7, it says, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. We, the children of God, those who believe in Jesus Christ, are called to a life of holiness, to be set apart for His purposes, not for our own, to be different from the rest of the world. As His followers, our lives should go against the flow of the world. Don't feel bad if you're different. That's who we are called to be. Light in this dark world. And as we continue to live a life that is countercultural, I tell you, we will experience persecution just like the Thessalonians. We will experience persecution. People will laugh at us, people will question us, people will mock us, but we can face it with joy and confidence, remembering that believers live not to please the world, but to please the Lord. Sanctification, this journey to Christ-likeness begins when we stop living for the world and start living for the Lord. When we examine our lives, do we walk a path that's opposite from how the rest of the world does? How are we growing in the area of holiness more and more? Do not be content where you're at. Again, our goal is not just to become better people. Our goal is to become more like Christ. And by the way, when we talk about holiness, it's not something that we work for. It's something that we are given as we believe in Jesus Christ. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we are made holy. That is called justification. But sanctification happens so that it would reflect in the way we live our lives. We are working out that holiness that has already been given to us. Do we still struggle with sexual temptation? Do we expose ourselves to immoral content when no one can see? 
oh, it's just me. No one's going to get hurt. Do we participate in green jokes that take these things lightly? If you're struggling with this, ask God to help you to overcome it today so that His holiness may be evident in our lives. And as we go beyond ourselves and start considering what God wants, putting His pleasure before our pleasure, we are also called to grow in love more and more. Again, how do we become more like Christ? We are to grow in love more and more. We are to live with love for others, not just ourselves. Going back to sexual immorality, (laughs) these are actually very self-centered acts. When we do it, we only think of our own pleasure. When we do it, we use others and treat them simply as objects to satisfy our desires, regardless of their consent. That's another reason why we should abstain from it. Because it is an offense. It is a sin against other people. Not to mention the fact that we are also causing them to sin against God. When we do this, we break the commandment to love our neighbors and we decide to love just ourselves. Paul talks about this in the next couple of verses. In verse 9, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. But he is writing anyway. (laughs) For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Again, Paul is challenging the Thessalonians to continue growing in their love. Now, brotherly love, or the Philadelphia kind, refers to the affection shared by blood brothers. This reminds me of what our parents used to say to my siblings and I when we were younger. They kept saying this, you should always have each other's backs no matter what happens to you. You should always be the first to celebrate successes, to help each other in times of need, and to defend each other in times of trouble, even if your sibling is in the wrong. Correct them in private, defend them in public. And this is the type of love that Paul encourages the Thessalonians and even us today to extend to fellow believers who are brothers and sisters not by blood, but in the faith. We may have different backgrounds, social classes, personalities, and these differences can make it hard for us to get along. But we are called to love and support each other because that is what God taught us as members of His family. This, He didn't just teach with mere words. He demonstrated this perfect love through Jesus Christ. I'd like to read from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. And what gave himself up for us? A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is a kind of love that looks out for the welfare of others, putting them first before ourselves even if they're undeserving, because that is what Jesus Christ did for us. His selfless act on the cross shows us that everything that we know about love that has been taught by this world is all wrong. We are called to follow Jesus' example. Now, talking about brotherly love, 
Paul once again commended the Thessalonians for exhibiting this kind of love to their brothers in Macedonia who were in need during that time as well. But again, he tells them not to be content where they're at. He challenges them again to grow in this kind of love. What? More and more. A progressive kind of sanctification. You know, now that we have this virus going around, we are living in times when a lot of people are in need of help. Just the past week, I heard of friends contracting the virus. I heard of not just one, but over five people whose homes have been affected by this virus. I, I've heard of a lot of people who lost loved ones. A lot of people around us are grieving, depressed. They're struggling, hungry, fearful. Are we mindful of them? Or are we only thinking about our own needs and ourselves? When we look at other people, do we just look at what we can receive from them? Or do we also actively look at what we can give them? Two weeks ago, I was so encouraged by the story of one of our leaders. We had a catch-up with her via Zoom. I wasn't able to ask for permission to share this story, so I won't mention her name. But she is actually one of the leaders who is part of my personal prayer shield. She experienced death in the family, her mom passing away. Then on the same month, she got a stroke. Then days after, contracted COVID-19 along with her son who was taking care of her. And this leader needed healing, comfort, encouragement, provisions above all of the things that she needed. But in the midst of everything that she was going through, she told me, Pastor Bodhi, I'm still committed to join the prayer team. I'm still attending meetings. Sometimes I go off cam because I'm having a hard time breathing. But, you know, she continued serving God in the midst of all of her troubles. In a time of need, she never stopped doing what God has called her to do because she trusts and believes that He will take care of her as He promised. And I pray that we would all have this kind of faith. A faith that perseveres through trying times. A faith that never turns our backs on what God has called us to do, on following Him, on obeying His Word, even in the midst of severe persecution. As we go back to our passage, Paul goes on to give three practical tips on how we could express brotherly love by being a good example on how one must conduct his life, focused on being a blessing rather than being a burden to others. We go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. First, Paul instructs the Thessalonians to live quietly. What does it mean to live quietly? I don't think I can do that. <laughs> this doesn't mean hiding in our homes and not speaking a word to anyone. Again, it would be impossible for me to do that. Living quietly here means being at rest or at peace, whatever the situation is, because we are confident that God is in control. We are confident of His sovereignty. The opposite of this is a person who is easily agitated or always anxious or always frustrated because of the problems that come his way. And this person 
does not keep this to himself. This person goes to other people with his concerns or complaints, not just about the situation, but a lot of times even about other people, taking it to social media, <laughs> stirring up fear and anger in the hearts of others instead of inspiring faith. This is not how believers should live. Now, as I was studying this text, I was trying to figure out why did Paul say all of these things with regards to brotherly love? We wouldn't really know what was causing the people at that time to you know, be agitated, anxious, and going around spreading all sorts of fake news. We wouldn't be able to understand it when we look at this passage alone. But when we look at Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, we are somehow given insight as to what was happening. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 and then 11 and 12, it says here, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Verse 11, we jump there. For we hear that some among you are walking in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. We read here that some of the Thessalonians actually stopped working because they misunderstood the return of Christ. They dropped everything and just started waiting for Him to come back, as they have heard. They didn't work for their own food. They started depending on other people for support. And throughout the day, all they do is to go around from house to house, meddling in other people's personal businesses, which leads us to Paul's next instruction. Mind your own affairs. An idle person who has nothing better to do tends to just look at other people's responsibilities, jobs, and point out what they aren't doing. The gift of criticism doesn't exist. They point out what people aren't doing and even give unsolicited advice on how people should be doing their jobs or running their lives, thinking that, you know, they're problem solvers. This leads to excessive chatter and unnecessary gossip and even tension in the community. These idle people, these busy bodies, they take on the responsibility of being a scoop hub, sharing to everyone what's happening in the lives of other people. Have you heard the latest about our friend? Some even use prayer to share these stories, thinking that would help. Let's pray for our friend because her husband has a relationship with his secretary. Or, hey, let's pray for our neighbor because she has a gambling problem and she used up all their money and now they might get evicted. As believers, we shouldn't be meddlers. We should avoid that. We should avoid being gossipers. We should avoid sticking our noses in problems that we shouldn't even be involved with unless other people ask for help. Rather than trying to solve other people's problems, prying in their personal issues, Paul reminds us to get down of our high horses and attend to the work and to the responsibilities that God has entrusted to us first, the responsibilities that they left behind to meddle. Paul was reminding them, fix your own problems. Why would we take off the speck out of our brother's eyes if we ourselves have a plank on our own? Again, Paul tells them, mind your own business. And lastly, Paul reminded them, work with your own hands. 
to earn so that we can provide for our own needs and not be a burden to others. Christ's followers are called to be blessings, not burdens. We are called to be hardworking, to be responsible, so that we can be a blessing and an inspiration to the people around us. In verse 12, we see the reason why Paul encouraged the Thessalonians to live this way. Why should we live in holiness? Why should we live loving other people in the midst of all these persecutions? So that we could be a testimony to the watching world. We go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In verse 12, it says, so that you may walk properly before outsiders. Again, so that you may walk properly before outsiders or pre-believers. We are to live pursuing holiness and loving other people so that they may see Christ in us. That is why God wants us to be more like Christ so that we can reflect His love and His glory to others and they may be inspired to come to the saving knowledge of them. These are the marks of a true disciple. People who are set apart from the rest of the world. In John 13, 34 to 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. When we observe our lives, are we representing Jesus well in our homes? Are you doing your chores? Are you helping out? Are we representing Jesus Christ well in our neighborhoods? Do we follow the protocols and the guidelines to keep people safe? Or are we the ones breaking them? Are we representing Jesus well in our workplaces? Do people see us as a burden or a blessing? When the people around us observe the way we live our lives, will they be inspired to come to Christ as well? Or will they be turned off? As the new believers in Thessalonica lived out these commandments, they faced severe persecution. Some even faced death. The people who were still alive worried for those people who died not knowing what would happen to them. What would happen to those who died before Jesus came back? And they were also worried for themselves as they looked at their current situation. They probably thought, we're dying, we're struggling, we're suffering. Is following Jesus really worth it? And Paul encouraged them to change their perspective. How do we, come more, how do we become more like Christ? Third point, grow in hope more and more. Again, grow in hope more and more. We are called to live for eternity, not just for the moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 Verses 13, 16, and 17 says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or are dead, that you may not grieve as others who do, not ha who do have no hope. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Paul tells us to live with hope. 
to look beyond our current sufferings to the greater glory that we will experience once we are reunited with our Savior in heaven for eternity. In that day, persecution, pain, suffering, tears, these things will all cease to exist. And as believers, we can be sure that that day will come. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You may be facing persecution right now and a lot of challenges. This is caused by our decision to follow Christ. You may be surprised if you are a new believer, but the truth of the matter is when we look at the Bible, Jesus never said that following Him would be easy. We have a lot of disciples who suffered, who were persecuted even to their death because they followed Christ. The easy way would just be to follow the ways of the world. But as Paul said earlier, we are not called to impurity but to holiness. And holiness, it's not about what's easy. It's about what's right in the eyes of God. As we face hardships during these times, let us remember that in light of eternity, this is but a short period. And God assures us that it will all be worth it because this suffering, affliction, is nothing compared to the glory that we will see and experience when we finally see Him face to face. Can you imagine no pain, no suffering, just praising God, no problems? The picture that Paul paints in the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is really exciting. It's like a people welcoming a king home after winning a battle. And we can look forward to that day when Jesus Christ returns so that we can fully receive and celebrate the victory that He has won over sin. We will be reunited with Him and we will celebrate that victory and fully receive it. This also reminds us of a groom, Jesus Christ, coming for His bride, us, the church, to bring her to His Father's house, to be with her forever. Something that we can look forward to. But as we await that day, just like a bride prepares for her wedding, I pray that we would also prepare our hearts by submitting to the process of sanctification, by submitting to God's will for our lives to become more and more like Christ. Growing in holiness, growing in love, growing in hope, more and more and more and more and more until that day comes when we are reunited with our Savior. Now, I don't want to pressure you guys. When it comes to sanctification, this is something that we cannot do on our own. This is something that we cannot do with our own strength. That is why God sent the Holy Spirit to guide and empower us, to partner with us in this process. If that is you today, if you are saying, Lord, I want to become more like you, ask the Holy Spirit to help you and to transform you. And don't just ask today. Ask Him every day. We, the children of God, are called to grow in holiness, in love, and in hope more and more so that we can point more and more people to Jesus Christ.
And when Jesus comes back, I pray that He sees that we have been transformed to become more like Him. And on that day, I'm really excited. He will be the one to complete the process as He brings us to our eternal home. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victorialamang.church.